Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? Years ago, I had a dream about a God-man, so this God who looked like a man, and in my dream, he had this beautiful wife with long golden hair, and she went to him in the night and stole a piece of his hair, and she did it to seek revenge against him because he couldn't protect her. And now that she had a piece of his hair, she spun up this incredible storm and laid waste to the town that where they were, to this sort of um, landscape that they were uh, stewards of. And she did all of this because she felt so violated by something that had happened to her. Eventually, the God-man transformed himself into an infant and lay crying in the middle of the town that she was destroying, which got her attention, and she stopped, and she transformed back um, from this incredible storm-bringer to the tenderness of a mother, and she brought the child into her arms and remembered herself, and that is when... Uh, he transformed himself back into the God-man that he was, and then I woke up. And so in working this dream, I discovered the story of Thor and Sif. Um, I didn't know that Sif ever existed. I, I was not at that point very well-versed at all in the Asir or the Norse pantheon, And I learned that Thor had a wife and her name was Sif and she had long golden hair and Loki stole her hair from her. There are multiple stories about why he did that, but Thor did not protect her from that treachery from Loki, but he was part of the um, restorative justice of having her hair restored. Um, through magical means. But this story of Thor and Sif seemed so connected to my dream. But in my dreaming of the story, this was after her hair was already restored. But she was so angry at Thor for not protecting her. This incredible god who could not foresee the actions of his adversary slash family member, Loki, 
that he couldn't protect her. And that feeling of violation brewed in her until she sought her revenge. And so over the years since this dream, I've been playing with this, um, this archetype of feminine rage that is birthed out of not being protected or being violated, having something precious taken from us. In Sif's story, it was her hair. When my children were little and we watched Moana, it was the heart of Tefiti that was taken from the island and created Taka, this um, incredible uh, boundary goddess made of lava and fire. Um, If you haven't seen Disney's Moana, I cannot recommend it highly enough. But it's the same sort of story. Taka is born of fire because she has been so violated that she's lost connection to the nurturing, fertile part of herself, Tefiti, and instead has been trapped in the, the fiery, boundary-holding version of her that is also vengeful and rageful and destructive. And she can't remember herself until she is seen for who she is by someone who is innocent and also vulnerable. In that story, it's Moana. In my dream, it's Thor as a baby. This is also reminiscent of the story of Kali and how she is brought back to herself by Shiva lying on the ground and submitting himself to her. And that moment of um, remembering herself because of his vulnerability. And so this is a um, sort of archetypal part of the feminine story that I feel like in these times of incredible healing, we really need to confront in ourselves and in our society and in each other, this desire to destroy and take vengeance for what has happened to us, for the violations that we have received as women, as vulnerable people, those of us who work on behalf of the earth for the violations that our mother, the earth has received from the imbalanced or uh, not present masculine. In my dream, Thor just was not present. He just didn't, wasn't paying attention when Loki came and stole Sif's hair. In the Moana story, Maui steals the heart of Tefiti to prove himself It's an act of reckless adolescent malehood and it violates the sacredness of the fertile feminine. And this is a story that gets played out over and over and over and over. And so the dance becomes a violation occurs out of oversight or ignorance or um, outright aggression. And then the vulnerable person in the relationship develops this um, incredibly powerful guardian energy that is symbolized by Taka or Sif in this sort of like Calypso version of herself in my dream. 
and or Kali and then this destroying feminine energy is out for vengeance this is a conversation that was coming up in my therapy session this week with my therapist about this pattern I see in my family and in families around me in the culture where I live here in um, the Northern Appalachian, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch community, where there is this sort of ghost-like presence of the men of the families where they are, um, they're kind of, um, they're like ghosts. They're sort of there, but not there. Um, sort of removed to the background of life where they do things, you know, outside of the home and they're sort of invisible in the home, but they provide and they, you know, work the land and they um, contribute to their community sort of outside the home. But in the home, the woman reigns supreme. And she often does that in a way that's very belittling and emasculating to the man in the relationship. And I think that a lot of that comes out of this rage from being overlooked, unseen, invisible to the masculine, um, which allows for violations to happen in you know, a million ways where women feel unsupported in the most primal way, even if the man of the house is providing money or um, some forms of protection. And so this dance of anger and avoidance, anxious attachment and running away, uh, rage and frozenness is sort of a two-step that people of my community have been doing for generations. But that pattern is being broken now because in the past, there was a deep embeddedness of Christian tradition in this part of the country and people just stayed and they just entrenched themselves in their bitterness, their vengeance or their ghosting of their relationship. So men would disappear into careers, um, alcoholism, um, other relationships outside of the marriage They would just sort of numb themselves and find other outlets for their life to go on. And the women would become um, really, really controlling in the household and sort of take out their frustrations on the people they could still control, which is usually the children. And so there are all these generations of really enmeshed mothers and children and fathers who are invisible. But now in the modern time frame here in South Central Pennsylvania and Northern Appalachia, um, the families don't just st- stick together. You know, they don't put their noses to the grindstone and bear it. There's this um, willingness to leave and to try again and to do something different and to do something new. But we haven't totally worked out what healthy looks like yet. So we tend to cycle through these same kinds of patterns in multiple relationships instead of just begrudgingly staying in one relationship our whole lives and dancing this dance to the bitter end. So the question that my therapist proposed to me and that I'm trying to live into is what does it look like to actually heal this dynamic? 
what does it look like to stop indulging this sort of resentful, rageful, controlling feminine and allowing the masculine to disappear into the background and numb himself or find other outlets for his life. This is a really intentional choice that my partner and I are making to do this differently because we both see it so clearly. What does it look like for us to actually show up for each other? To be attuned to each other? To turn toward each other? What would it look like for me to trust him with the heart of the mountain or the heart of the island, with my most sacred and innermost and precious aspects of myself? What does it look like for him to be involved in every part of the household, every part of the family, not just an invisible provider? And it looks like when Thor turns himself into a baby at the feet of Sif in my dream and makes himself vulnerable, has needs of his own, requires tenderness from the feminine, and that tenderness being um, something I choose to show up in tenderness for his vulnerability, being able to withstand him being in need. The women of my family have not been um, too welcoming of men having emotions like that in the past. And it also looks like me being attuned to and aware of those most precious parts of myself, those most treasured and sort of hidden away parts of myself um, and allowing my partner to know how much they mean to me and how I need his help keeping them safe. Sif was her hair. Um, it was her hair that was a treasure to her, Tafiti. It was her generative feminine powers that created life. Um, and, and for most women, it's something similar, you know, this, our wild sexuality, our um, chaotic inner landscape, our creativity, our, um, the generative parts of us are so treasured and so um, essential to who we are but they're undervalued by this society that we have cultivated, this Western society. They aren't easily monetized. In fact, they're not often seen as productive, these parts of us, raising children, creating art, dreaming, making gardens, um, writing or painting or, you know, whatever the wild self requires of us to stay wild and in tune with ourselves. These are not often things that are considered valuable. So they could be our heart of the island, you know, our heart of generativity and creativity. And to bring our partner into that most inner place in us and say, this really matters to me that I can create art. This really matters to me that I can keep dancing. This really matters to me that I can have time to be alone in the garden on the weekends or in the evenings. Help me protect this part of myself that is such a treasure to me. 
see this in me and protect it with me. And that creates this intimacy where we feel deeply held and seen. And when we can show up fully to receive those parts of our partner that need to be nurtured and loved and seen. So in my culture here, I'm just using the binary of masculine and feminine because that is the sort of traditional um, home that I've had experience with. Um, I realize that is not in any way the full picture. It's just what I've mostly experienced here in Northern Appalachia. But for us here, the masculine seems to very much need to be seen in its power and in its strength and in its ability to protect and provide, but also in its need for reassurance. You know, the masculine, when Maui was stealing the heart of the island, he was trying to be reassured that he mattered, that people could see that he was powerful, that people could see how hard he was working for them, that people could see how much he cared. That was his impetus for taking the heart. He wasn't thinking about the long-term effects of what he was doing. He was showing off. He was, there was a, a young part of him that needed to be valued and have that value reflected back to him. And this is part of our work as the integrated feminine in relationship with the unintegrated masculine in ourselves and in others is to recognize that need for validation and approval and being valued. And how do we do that in our relationships without becoming resentful and angry? There's a lot of conversation now in the modern time about not relying on anyone else to meet our needs, knowing that all of those things come from within ourselves, that we can't expect anyone to make us feel any certain way, but we must generate those feelings within ourselves. And I feel like there's something really dangerous about that because we are not creatures that live in isolation. We are creatures who live in community and we have very real needs that are met in community. We are wired to have our needs met in community. We are not wired to meet all of our needs on our own. And in fact, meeting all of our needs on our own is a lot of what has gotten us to this problem that we're having in modern society, this problem of violence and violation of um, the sacred, you know, rapes and murders and kidnappings and all these things that are just sort of like outcroppings or the fruiting body of this rot that comes from hyper-individualism. We are meant to rely on each other We are meant to look at the needs of those we love and care about making sure that they're met. That is how human beings have evolved. That is our wildness. That is our truth. I am a keeper of chickens and we have this flock of chickens that has dwindled to one chicken. We had 20 chickens and the flock was decimated by foxes this year. And then the last two were killed by a weasel 
who broke into the coop in the middle of the night, found a little soft spot in the floor of the coop that had water damage and um, probably planned for two or three nights before making the attack, and we were none the wiser. I managed to get a hole big enough that it could get into the coop and kill two of the last three hens, leaving one hen left, and she was so traumatized from being alone and from watching all of her sisters die. She was barely eating, um, and I was prepared for her to pass out of this world. And a friend um, brought me another hen so that she didn't have to be alone. And the change in her when that other hen arrived, now she has a flock. She's eating, she's drinking, she's grooming. She's These are all things she was not doing. She was drinking, but she was barely eating. She wasn't grooming. Her comb was floppy and pale. She was sitting in the most sheltered part of the um, run all the time, not dust bathing, not scratching. She was so depressed and so traumatized. But the difference in her, just in having company, she's a flock creature. This is her wildness. She is meant to be in relationship. That is how she has her needs met. That is how she feels protected. That is how she feels safe. It's been such a teaching for me to see the change in her and what that means for us as humans who are also social creatures. We are intended to care for each other's needs. We aren't like turtle babies who hatch on an island and have to make our way to the sea by ourselves. We're mammals. You know, we are held in the bodies of our mothers. We are born before we're ready to be born because our heads grow too big too fast. So our mothers have to birth us before we're really ready to be out in the world. And then they have to hold us and carry us at least for the first 10 months to a year of our lives. We can't be on our own at all. We have to be totally cared for. And then beyond that, we require community and technology to survive on this planet. We don't have the other adaptations that other animals have. Claws and wings and fur and the ability to hibernate. And there, there are all these adaptations that solitary animals have made that we do not have. We have to have each other. And we have to have technology or we do not survive here. Technology, meaning building shelters and digging for water and creating sharp knives to butcher animals and building fires. And, you know, these are technologies that we have to have to survive here. And so I am making this podcast episode this week as a call out to just remind us that this hyper-individualism is really, really dangerous. And when someone tells you that no one can make you feel a certain way, and someone tells you that no one is responsible for meeting your needs but you, there is some truth to that. But the truth in that only goes so far. And the, the extent of it is how much truth we can tell ourselves and then tell the people who are 
helping us meet those needs. So in my dream, Sif's reality was she was really, really angry that Thor did not protect her from Loki's violation. So no, Thor did not make her feel that way on purpose, but she did feel that way. And so she was responsible for telling Thor that truth. My hair is precious to me. I need you to help me take care of what is precious. I need you to help me feel safe. But in my dream, she didn't have the skills to do that. So she spun up a horrific storm to destroy everything because she didn't know how to say what she needed and she didn't trust him to protect her. This is the same scenario with Tafiti and Maui and Taka. She did not have the language to say, I am feeling no connection to my generative forces. I'm feeling no connection to my ability to, to create, to be wild, to be fertile, to be sensual. So the only connection I have is my rage for that being taken from me. And she couldn't find her voice again, her ability to receive love until it was reflected back to her in the face of innocence. And then she remembered, ah, that is what I want. I want my generativity. I want to be seen. I want my softness. So until we as women can admit to ourselves what is sacred and what is precious and start asking for it to be protected by the people that we love, we are responsible for our inner state. But once we know what we need and we can ask for it, then the people we love are responsible for helping us meet our needs. Until they know what our needs are, they're not responsible for making sure our needs are met. But once they know, once the people who are in relationship with us know what is precious to us, they are responsible to show up and help us protect and achieve safety. And I think sometimes that's the biggest danger. When we admit to ourselves when we really, what we really desire, what's really important to us, and then the people around us say that's not important to them, or it shouldn't be important to us, then we're really up against the wall. Because either these people are not our people, And we need to make big changes in our lives. Or we have to decide that what matters to us doesn't actually matter. And then we become ghosts like the men in my family. Or we become raging monsters. Like the divine feminine in her Taka form or her Kali form. But there's another way. And that way is through being vulnerable with each other and actually showing up for the needs of the other people in our lives and expecting them to show up for the needs that we have. This holiday season is a time where there's a lot of conflict around tradition and what we need and what's important to us. And we can become really, really tied to things that are 
um, sort of ingrained, but may not have a lot of depth. And as we do this deep healing work in this generation, it's so important that we communicate clearly inside of ourselves and then outside of ourselves what we really need and what really matters and how the people in our lives can help. If there's a long-standing tradition about spending money on gift giving, but the money just isn't there to do that, continuing that tradition and not honoring our physical practical need for safety is a violation. And that needs to be addressed. If part of our tradition is showing up where family members are abusive or unkind or belittling, continuing to show up in that space for one person who we love, but knowing it's going to hurt us is a violation. So these are conversations that get exacerbated by times of the year like this, where one person's needs may violate another person's safety. And it requires us to be vulnerable with each other and find another way, an emergent way that meets everyone's needs. And it takes energy and it takes vulnerability and it takes time and it's how we change the world for our children and their children and their children. May you find the courage to receive the love that you deserve to receive in your life, that everyone deserves to receive in their life. May you find the courage to ask for what you need. May you find the softness to hear the needs of those you love. And may we all move toward a more beautiful world together. Thank you for joining me.